One, two, three, check, check. Hey, all right, good morning. Good to be with you guys. I'm very excited to talk to you guys today. We are on our series called You Make the Call. If you have been here over the past couple weeks, I'll get the, but I'll, it's been awesome. Great feedback. We'll get that in a second. Before we get to the series, uh, I want to tell you something. First of all, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. The, you guys, we're not comparing here. They were much more responsive than you. Okay. Good morning, you guys. All right, good to be with you guys. Okay, so um, before we get to the series, I want to tell you, um, we have um, something coming up that I, if, if you're in a life group, meaning you've, uh, you've had the rooted experience, you're plugged in with some people that are, you're, you know, you're kind of doing life together and you're committed to changing the world as a group of people, that's you guys' life group. If you're in that, uh, or you are presently serving or you sign up to serve, there is an event I want to invite you to that um, we're going to host here on October 12th. It'll be in the evening. And it is going to be a, we don't have a clever title for it. Basically, this is, this is like church speak for what, like it's going to be awesome is Night of Vision. Okay, so what that means is I'm going to talk about what the church is going to be doing the next year or so. And I want you to be a part of it. If you're connected in our church, you're serving, you're in a life group, um, or you know, you're just about, you're just signing up to serve today as Kim was talking about, I want you to be there. It's going to be very, very cool. And some of you, you're like, I don't know about this church. I don't know what in the world you guys have going on here. You can't even figure out how to build a building right. You have a wall. I'm not coming. Okay, I get it. But this is just for people who are already here. It's your church. I want you to be a part of it. It's going to be a very, very cool night. Give you some alignment for things we're doing over the next, uh, you know, ne- next year or so. So there's that. All right, now onto the series. Um, I have, um, we're in this series called You Make the Call. It has, been, it has been very, very fun for me to hear some of the feedback from some of you guys, um, either you know, at the door, some of you are inviting your friends. You know, I, our church is kind of, if you're new with us and you got invited by someone, more than likely you're invited if you came here. But um, you know, our church is kind of an inviter kind of church, it's kind of what we do. But it's so fun to talk to people that you guys have been bringing, and I get to talk to them at the door, and they're like, this has been really cool, I love, you know, so-and-so brought me, it's been so great, and I love being here. And one of the things they've been talking about is the series has been so good, and um, part of it has been just some of the practical stuff and the way we've been responding and just been getting great feedback about some of the content. And so it's been very cool to hear some of the feedback from you guys. And as we talk about the series, I think part of what makes people kind of connect with it is this idea that our life is, you know, it's faced with all kinds of decisions. We have all kinds of decisions that are incredibly difficult for us. And they aren't simply questions that can be answered with, this is a right or wrong or a legal or illegal kind of conversation. These are things that are much broader than that, that when we make decisions, they have kind of gradients. They're sort of like, we're not sure exactly how to answer these questions. And they're, you know, they're the only way we kind of govern those decisions is with something called wisdom. And so this is what this series has been about. How do we put the practical edge, not just of getting smarter, but how do we put what we know into practice in real tangible ways? And so it's been very cool to do that. I've been saying throughout the entire series that kind of our banner verse for this series has been Proverbs 1, verse 5, which is really the middle of a sentence, but here it is on the screen. It's this right here. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. And if you've been with us, you've heard us talk about the word guidance is a word that literally means to steer. That if we could get wisdom in some capacity or another, we'd actually be able to direct the course of our lives. And so that's what we've been doing. It's been very fun to hear some of the feedback from you guys. Some of you are making incredibly courageous decisions, and um, so it's been very cool. So We'll get into this week, and um, let's pray. That's why we do that. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, we gather, as we're here, as we kind of um, look at our own lives, we know a lot, Lord, that there's a lot that we face. And that if we were just to pause for a moment to understand really where we are, to take an inventory of just where we are right now in our lives and in whatever circumstances we face, we face a dual question, which is where we're headed. And so, Lord, we need wisdom. We don't need a trick. We don't need a show. We don't need, a, you know, some kind of 
game. We need real wisdom because our lives are faced with really difficult challenges. Some of us, Father, in here, Father, have wandered in here in despair and loneliness and brokenness. We come in here because this is our last hope, because we have no other place to go. Others of us, we look forward to this, this, this hour or so every single week. But regardless, every single one of us needs wisdom. Every single one of us needs a bit of courage. And we need help. So Lord, wherever we are, whatever brought us here, whatever we face, whatever's ahead of us in this week, Lord, we need you. And so we ask God that you would speak to us in whatever way that you do it. We don't always understand it, but would you speak to us in the silence and in the stillness? As we don't say anything, we just receive from you. So God, we give you just a moment of pause to speak. Lord Jesus, we need you. We're here because we need you, whether we know it or not. Give us the wisdom to take next steps today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, if you want to follow along with us, uh, there is an outline in your bulletin. You can look at the screen if you don't want to deal with that. If you want to just, you know, look on, you know, your own uh, little device or whatever you brought it with you, that's great. We'll be in Proverbs 2, and then we'll jump around a little bit, and we'll jump all the way to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So you can kind of bookmark that however you want. But um, follow along the outline, just give you a sense of where we are. Now, Proverbs, you should know this, has a future orientation, meaning that there is a, uh, it's a conversation between a father, you know, at least it's the way it's set up as a father and a son, such that the son could avoid the things that are in the future that would otherwise trap him, or vice versa, he could plan for things that would give him you know, some kind of life as opposed to death or whatever it might look like. So you have a future orientation in all of Proverbs. And it looks, a lot of the times you see it explicitly like this. You know, if, if blank happens or if you do something, then you will find or this is what will happen. So whether it's positive or negative, you have kind of that format. If you do this, then this is what will happen. Now, what you know is even if it's not there explicitly, it's still implied. It will talk about things like, hey, a wise person will do this and a fool will do this. A wise person will do this and it will lead them to this. And so you have this kind of even implied future orientation. In other words, an older person, the defining characteristic of the wise person is one who says, hey, let me tell you, who do, a person who doesn't yet know, about what's ahead so you can plan accordingly. Now, it's up to you to decide whether or not you want to do it, but I can tell you I've been down that road and this is where it leads. And that's kind of what a, a wise person does. And so this is kind of the way... Proverbs looks. Here's one that's kind of explicit here. It's in, not explicit in that sense, but it's clear in this one. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5 says this. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, there's your if statement, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as his hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So you have then if you do this, then this is what will happen. I'm telling you, my son, if you do these things, there will be an outcome which connects you with the righteousness of God. In other words, the fear of the Lord is what that actually means. It really means that you're in some way standing in awe of God, and in that sense, you'll know how to act and live, which is righteousness. And you'll have wisdom. This is kind of the way this works the whole way through. Now, if we were able to listen to all the great wisdom we ever, we've ever received by people who knew better than us, then it wouldn't be simply that hindsight would be 2020, it would be that foresight would be 2020. That we could see the future and go, 
I know the outcome of how this would work out. Now, it doesn't always work out this way, but this is what's supposed, this is the way Proverbs is written is, let me orient you, not simply to where things are, but to where you will be. You are in a place right now. How's that working out for you? That's great. Here's what you can expect in the future if you continue to make some of these decisions. And that's why you have words like path or way or whatever. We talked about this last week. Now, here's kind of what this is talking about. This is, a, this is the quintessential, if only foresight could be 2020. Just really quick before we get into it. How many of you, looking back on your life, wish you could have seen the outcome of some pretty lame decisions you made before you made them? Yeah. Some of you are like, I have never made a bad decision. It's so, that's why I come to this church where everybody's perfect. It's so great. Now I'm going to leave because everybody raised their hand. Now, all right. Now, we all have those moments, right? Now check out this. This is, again, this is this some brilliant wisdom here. Check this out. This is Proverbs 14, verse 12. says this. There is a way that appears to be right. And we will stop right there. You can tell that's part of a sentence because of the comma, which is not in the Hebrew, but it's there in the English. There is a way that appears to be right. There is a way that appears to be right. Now, if I had a pencil or a pen, I would underline or circle these two words. That appears. That appears. Because what you're getting right here is a setup for something else. Okay, everybody, we know now there's a way that appears to be right, which means there is a way everybody thinks about doing something that they're, they're convinced that it's a wonderful idea. You might be one of those people, and you're around them, and they say it's going to be a great idea, and you go, I am convinced this appears to be right. Now, there's no way to like put an asterisk or underline or circle in Hebrew. Hebrew doesn't even have any punctuation at all. All you have is just these little literary devices. Sometimes you use repetition and sometimes you have a little insert right here. In other words, to say there's something that you're thinking about. It appears like a great idea. Now, there's a lot of things that we do that appear like a wonderful idea. (laughs) Remember that time you ate that third hot dog? How about uh, that, that time you tried to foot race your own children? Like, I'm faster than you, Dad. No, you're not. I'm fast. I'm a really, I used to be fast in high school. That was 20, 30 years ago. And I am, I, but I will race you. Do you know how many times I've injured myself trying to race my 10-year-old son? What about this idea of that, that great, that, the thing that sounded so good? It's every, it seems so, everybody, it seems right to so many people that, that really good deal on Craigslist. That cruise vacation that just seemed like it was such a great deal and you went on there and then everybody got the Hunta virus and it's just barf at sea. It's like, this is just the worst decision we ever made. What about that investment opportunity your cousin's been talking about for years? Hey man, we gotta do this. I don't, that, I'm, I don't, I'm sure if you have a cousin from like Mississippi, it's what he'd sound like. That job you took, that relationship you started, spring break, 99. <laughs> that haircut. <laughs> you know, don't you wish there was a way in, in, the which, in the midst of everything that we've done in which we could actually see the future to the degree that we'd go, this is going to be a terrible decision. Everybody thinks this is a great idea, but this is totally unwise. And now what you have is, this is, this is precisely, the simplicity of the Proverbs here is simply that. What if there was a way you could look at some things and go, maybe this, ought not, maybe this isn't as great as everybody thinks that it is. So here's the way the rest of the verse concludes. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. 
There's some conventional wisdom. Everybody thinks this is a really good call, but in the end, it doesn't, I like the language is a little bit strong there. It's not like, oh, it ends with a little bit like a rash or something uncomfortable or whatever, a broken arm or a sprain or whatever. Death. A father saying to his son, there's going to be a lot of people who are convinced of something that it's going to be so wonderful, and you're going to be convinced too, but I want you to understand, son, that might, it's going to end in death. Everybody's going to be convinced. You might be too, but it's not something you really want to go down, a path you want to go down. Last week, if you're with us, we talked about initiating tiny habits, small little paths. The, the words path and way are common in the Proverbs. You have this kind of road or whatever. You have these words that show up a lot in the Proverbs because what they're saying is it isn't simply that one decision is the end-all be-all. It's saying that there's a series of multiple decisions that we make in our lives that lead us to a particular destination. And so you have wording like path or road. And so if you're with us last week, we talked about initiating new paths in our lives because we're path people. We talked about that. If you miss it, you can listen on the podcast. This is kind of a continuation of last week's message. But we're path people. We build paths. We live in paths. We make paths. This is how we operate. And we said, really, our, our goal isn't to try to stop being path people. It's to try to create new paths that lead us in a particular way. So we talked about some of the paths we have. I, you know, we gave us a simple thing based on some research. It just said, you know, if you want to start a new path, you initiate it based on a simple cue and it's a really small step. So we talked about the idea. The analogy was, you know, I'm after I fl- you use this formula. After I blank, I will blank. Meaning, after I brush my teeth, I will floss one tooth. Remember that conversation? To which someone corrected me and said, you can't floss one tooth because it's a gap between teeth, which means you're flossing teeth. Remember that? Okay, now, we talked about this as an analogy. By the way, how many of you guys have stuck with the tiny habit you created? Okay, how many of you guys are raising your hand right now? Your habit was, after, after McGuire asked me about anything, I will lie. Okay, great. That's fine. I get we're honest. Okay. Now, some of you still have to decide what kind of new habit you want to develop. We talked about that. I get it. Now, this week, we want to revisit this, but I want to reframe it. I want to reframe that same conversation a little bit differently, which is look like this. I don't want to simply to talk about us initiating a new path. We'll get to that in a little bit. What I want us to focus on is this. Where was that path taking you? Last week, we spent a lot of time saying, how do I just start a new path? But I want us to focus on where was that path taking you? Or, for instance, to look in your outline, I, I, there's this simple formula, which maybe you can relate with, regardless of where you are in your age or life stage or whatever else it might be, whether you're a student or you're, you know, uh, you're retired. Look at this formula. After I, after I repeatedly blank, I could end up blank. Now, you could, you, could, you could look at this, leave that up there on the screen for a second. This could be both negative and it could be positive. But what this is pointing out is there is a destination by which all path, a path has to take us to some place. Whether it's a small habit or it's a giant thing or it's a huge, you know, awful thing, whatever it is, after I repeatedly do whatever it is, I could end up somewhere. It doesn't guarantee that you will, but one possible outcome is that you'll end up somewhere else. You'll end up in some place that you may not have intended in some cases. There are things in our lives don't change it yet. I know you're about to change the, the switcher back to the camera. There are things in our lives that are present now that we go from just, talk, just for a moment, we thought about where is this going to take me? It would change the way we think about the way that we're living. And so we have this question, for those of us to put that in a negative sense, we have this question that's like this. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Is the path that you're presently on 
Are the paths that you're generating in your life, are they the things that are going to take you where you want to be? There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death or heartache or brokenness or pain or whatever you want to call it. I think we're more aimless than we think we are. I think we believe that we're so, we we believe in some way or another that we are so sophisticated and we're so independent. And the truth is we are not as independent as we think we are. We are people who get swept up in stuff all the time. For those of you who are, you know, in, you know maybe you're, you're initiating that rooted journey, you're taking rooted right now and kind of going through that, and some of you have completed it, some of you are in life groups, and you have that sense. Maybe you've heard this phrase, whether it's a high school small group or it's your adult you know, life group community, you've heard the phrase, I don't know how I got here. I, I don't know what happened. I wasn't trying to do this. I didn't intend to end up down this road, but somehow or another... I ended up there, and I never intended to end up there. I just did. We get swept up into stuff all the time, and we say, I don't know how I got here. Now, I have have a theory on how we wind up there. We can take it off the screen now. I have a theory on how how we wind up there. Because I think most of the time, wherever there is or here is, or however you want to phrase it, I think most of the time our aim Our heart's desire is to do the right thing. We're just trying to do the right thing or to avoid doing the wrong thing. And I want you to to understand, I think that is literally the issue. Now, some of you are like, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. You're saying we we shouldn't shouldn't do the right thing or what what is, I knew this church was crazy and that guy and whatever's going on. Here's what I mean. The issue we're facing isn't simply how do I always make right choices? Because right choices are a path in and of themselves. And let me show you the problem with that. Because some of you are going, wait a second, you're saying make wrong choice? I'm totally confused. You have totally, literally, the, the, it's, it's, everything's falling apart now, Jeff. I don't, ever want, I don't know what you're doing. Let me show you. If you're with us during our relationship series, talked about sex. Talked about affairs. And I want, I'm going to relive this journey with you, for those of you who are with us before, about how people wind up never doing the wrong thing at the footsteps of an affair. See if you can relate, and we'll talk about some other examples. Okay, the, I, this is really hard for the 9 o'clock service, so I'm just going to, I want you to just say the word no when I point at you. Okay, you got it? Okay, so that was a trick question, because I pointed at you and you didn't say no. But no, just kidding. All right, here we go. Now, here we go. I want you to imagine a scenario in which two people who are both married, not to each other, but are married and they're co-workers. They're at the office together, and they're working on a project together. Is there anything wrong with that? So co-workers can work together. They can be of different genders. They can, they can share notes. They can be together working on projects together. Now, they're working together, and they've been working really hard, and they need to go get lunch because people get lunch. People have to feed themselves. We need fuel to continue our work. Is there anything explicitly prohibiting people from, who work together of different genders from eating lunch together in the Bible? No, some of you weren't sure. I don't know. I don't know the whole Bible. I don't know about the gender thing. Okay. No, there's not, as far as I know. <laughs> Uh, now, let's say the same people over weeks and months are working together. They're, they're now working on the same project, and they're staying late, and they're working on this project after everybody else has left, and it's, you know, they're, but they're working on the project because this has to get done, and their boss is a tyrant, and they need to get that stuff done. Is there anything explicitly prohibiting people working hard late together in the Bible? No. So far, we have done nothing wrong. Now, if these people 
who are working late together over months and weeks, you know, time, and there's, there's seasons of time where they're working so hard to make the, the deadline of whatever it is they're doing. And then someone says, one of the couples says, you know, my marriage has been really hard. I'm having some tough times and I don't really know what to do and I'm scared about what I'm supposed to be doing and I just don't know what I should do. And the other person is a good and faithful, friendly, listening ear. Is there anything in the Bible prohibiting people from being a good and faithful and friendly, listening ear? <laughs> not so sure. Uh, I don't know about that. The water's getting a little warm here. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. The answer is no. We're supposed to be, we're compassionate. I have compassion. Are you telling me I should not have compassion? Because that's what I hear you saying. I, I must not have compassion, right? You listen. Now, then after a while, there's this continuing relationship and things are happening. And still, have we done anything wrong? No, we've done nothing wrong. This continuing relationship goes on. And you think to yourself, on your way home, I'll just stop by and see how things are going. Anything explicitly prohibiting people from stopping by at each other's house, who work together, who listen to each other, who care about each other in the Bible? Someone said yes. I, there might be. I think there might be. <laughs> the only reason you said yes is because, even though nothing has been done that's wrong yet, is because you know what's next. Because you know where the path leads. A person in this scenario has done nothing wrong yet. And yet there's a path that's been initiated. You see, we wind up in places, not simply because of one wrong decision. We wind up in wrong places, so to speak. Places we don't know how we got there because of a million decisions about which we could say there's nothing wrong with that. So it must be right. And we could talk about a bunch of different scenarios. For high school students, I don't know, maybe you can relate to this in other contexts. You know, you're a person who wants to not be in the party scene in high school. It's a big deal. Everybody is, but you're not. So you start going to parties, but you're not drinking. There's anything wrong with going to a party, not drinking? There's anything wrong with holding a, you know, an empty cup, but just looking like you once were a person who drank? I, I'm good. I'm just, I'm not, I'm just, you know, I'm just acting like I, there's anything wrong? I mean, if I, and then is there anything wrong taking a sip of something? I mean, really, if I was like in, you know, Amsterdam, <laughs> I mean, that would be like, so if I was in Washington or Colorado, I could be doing all kinds of things, uh, you know, like, so this is nothing. <laughs> And you can see the cascading effect of what's happening here. I'm not going to go down the whole road. I mean, there's all kinds of these things. We start saying something about someone else behind their back, and it's because we care about them. And I'm really concerned. And so I just wanted to say that I really, she's so mean, and she's ugly, and I hate her. But I just, I care. I bless her heart. And I just want to just hold her so dear to my soul. And I just want to pray for her. And she's, I can't stand her. Let's pray for her. Yeah. All of a sudden, you end up with a gossip scenario that's sort of shrouded in Christian ease. But it started out with just, oh, I'm just, I just have a thought, and I, I was wounded, but I just, I got to say this. I'm just going to keep it real. I'm going to be honest. I don't want to, I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to be mean, you know, whatever. So there's that. There are the scenarios in which we start thinking, you know, maybe there's, I would say that, you know, maybe for some of us, you see a commercial on television. It's a Carl's Jr. commercial. Guys, and you go, man, I love that sandwich. That is just looks so good. And so I'm going to make sure I pause just to get the full picture of that sandwich. And I just, I just can't stop thinking about a chicken sandwich. It is so good. Now, I, I just care about sandwiches. <laughs> I mean, that's all I'm just saying. I'm, anything wrong with caring about a sandwich? Well, I get off my back, right? I'm just looking at a sandwich, okay? Okay. But nobody got hurt, but it was, you know, it's really not they kind of use a spokes model, maybe, in that, that may, may have caught your attention. It begins to create a pattern. It doesn't necessarily lead to, like, you know, 
some kind of crazy murderous spree. It just means that you got to a place where you went, well, I got to a place that may have damaged my own integrity, my marriage, my friendships. Now I'm in a place of addiction I never intended to be. You could do this with virtually everything, you guys. Any kind of addiction, we could talk about it in these terms. Gossip, jealousy, cheating, all these things, we could talk about them. It's not that there's one decision that ultimately turned you to a certain way. It's that there's a series of decisions about which we say, there's really nothing wrong with that. There's a way that seems to be or appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Relational heartache, brokenness at work, brokenness in my personal life, my own personal integrity. This is how we get swept up because there's nothing wrong with that. Now, the Proverbs, like like all of the Bible, illustrate a theme, which is that there is a way that the world functions that seems so right to the world. It seems like it makes sense to the world. We've had this verse on our, on, you know, throughout our series a little bit here and there, which is you know, Romans 12, too. I want you to see it. Check this out. It just says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. I have the rest of the verse on your outline. But do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, there is a way, a path, a road, a pattern in which the world functions. And the Bible is constantly saying, you know what? Look at the world and don't do that. The Bible is constantly calling people to live opposite of the way that the world operates. Now what that means is this. If we're not conforming to the patterns of the world, if there is a way that, that seems like it makes a lot of sense, but in the end it leads to death, it may, and if everybody has a way of functioning or living that seems like it makes a lot of sense that are functioning in this world, that means for someone who does not play by those rules, for someone who says, I will not conform to the way that the world operates, they will appear foolish. There's the wisdom of the world that says this is how we function in society, and then there's this foolish way of living. It's really the wisdom of God, but it feels like it has, doesn't fit over here. And we want both at the same time. And over and over again, what you see in the Bible is that these things are not compatible. You cannot have the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world at the same time. You don't get both. To one or the other, you have to appear to be a fool. Now, some of you are here at church. You're like, it's your first time. You're visiting. You're not sure about Jesus at all. You're not sure about what we're talking about. I want you to know, admittedly, what I'm saying is we, we call people, as people who walk with Jesus, to live in some kind of foolishness to the world. You have to know that's where at least some level of what we're doing. Now, I want you to see this. There's, the Apostle Paul is writing to the early church in Corinth. He writes this letter from the back of your outline. I want you to see this. If it's true what I just said, then it should be affirmed in the rest of the Bible that there would be in some way or another that people who live a certain way that's opposite from the world will, will appear dumb, then it ought to be consistent in the Bible. The Apostle Paul points to the most foolish person the world has ever known in Jesus. I want you to check this out. You might underline or circle the words wise and foolish, however you want to do it. There's a little bit of reading here, so just hang with me as I read this. For the message of the cross, he says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And that's, he's quoting from um, Isaiah right there, Isaiah 29. 
Where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, <coughs> excuse me, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Now, I want you to catch this. Paul is writing with an unbelievable sense of irony. What he's saying is, all the people that are connected to this person of Jesus, we're all a little bit foolish. We're all a little bit crazy. We believe, by the way, again, if you're new, we believe the most insane stuff. We just do. I mean, there's no other way around it. We believe insane things because here's what's happening as Paul's writing. These people are moving themselves to, toward Jesus through the Christian communities, people that follow Jesus. And the basis of their belief is that there's a guy who's known as a criminal, killed on a, executed on a Roman cross on the outskirts of the Roman Empire who claimed to be the ruler of everything. People are worshiping that guy as if he were God. That is so, what is that about? That is so bizarre. Why would people do that? They keep calling him words that generally are reserved for Caesar, like Savior and Lord. Those are words that belong for Caesar, not, not, a, not a Palestinian who's out in the corner of the empire. Nobody, what? Not only that are we worshiping him, he's a person who was killed and executed as a criminal, and he was on a, nobody in the ancient Near East says, you know what really honors the people that we worship? A death on a cross. Nobody says that. And here's this collection of people, all these misfits, these crowds of people who are gathering around Jesus. And if you look at the, the makeup of the early church, through a little bit of kind of insight, what you get is these are people, and through Jesus' ministry, these are people nobody else wanted. These are people that nobody else wanted. And Paul says, everything we got is on the basis of this absurd reality of a guy who died on a cross. This cross, the foolishness to the Gentiles. It seems so stupid. I mean, the idea here is this whole, this, the whole idea of our faith is built on something that has failure written all over it. Foundationally, the whole of our faith is built on something that's completely absurd and Christ, which is Christ crucified. The whole world says, I have a way of doing stuff and it's wise. And it doesn't include people who are supposed to be our leader dying. We say often to our kids, you know, you guys, it's just not the way the world works. And we tell them this. I do it all the time. It's not the way the world works. And we tell them this phrase as if to say to them, so you should operate like the way the world does. Maybe that's the point. The world doesn't have it all together. And maybe in some way our kids have got it better than us. There's a way the world functions, and maybe that, that way is broken. And some of you have walked down the pattern or the path the world has placed before you, and you have walked it unthinking, and you have said to yourself, this is just not paying off anymore, but I don't know where else to go. Continuing on in reading, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Continuing on. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. 
so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption, which is just path to freedom is the word redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now I'm going to go back a little bit. Paul says that all of this stuff we're talking about is a stumbling block to the wise. The word stumbling block in the Greek is the word scandalon. Sounds like the word scandal, doesn't it? It literally has its roots in the word trap. It literally means trigger stick. Here's a trigger stick right here. I don't know what you catch with that trap. <laughs> it must be a very small thing that can be easily squished, which I'm sure is delicious. But that's a trigger stick. The wisdom of the wise is actually a trap. The Je- Jesus himself, this incredibly absurd person, who appears so foolish, actually catches people off guard and tra- they get trapped by their own wisdom because they go, I don't need it. And it is all of these people who are the somebodies of the world look at Jesus and go, that's so dumb. And the collection of people who made up the early church, from the disciples to the people who gathered in small homes and in little gatherings, the people that got, these are all people that nobody else wanted, they're nobodies. Jesus kept recruiting these people, these 12 and he kept telling them, we're going you know, to change the whole world. And they're like, yeah, whatever that means, sure, this is fun. They have no idea what they were going to do. These are nobodies. The early church has a story, of, there's a story of early church where, you know, people in the Roman Empire, what they would, what they didn't want their kids, they saw them, they came out, they had physical deformities or clear sort of, you know, deficiency. They would just, they were allowed to just abandon their kids at the city gates. They just, it's called infant exposure, just let them die. The Christians took on this, this, this like, this mandate which said, that's unacceptable, so we're going to take in these people. Now imagine, just fast forward the timeline a little bit. The church is then full of people within a few years who are all kind of a wreck. Sound familiar? People who have physical limitations and disabilities, and they were told by people, you are dignified. The world says you are not dignified. We, we see it differently. The world, the world is full of somebodies, and the church is full of these foolish group of people who are all nobodies who say there are some things we just can't let go, no matter how dumb we appear. So this is us. Jesus himself is the true wisdom, Paul says. He keeps using this phrase throughout his writings, having him or being in him, having Jesus or being in Jesus has with it some certain, in other words, we get this kind of wisdom for our lives, and it appears to be so incredibly stupid to the world. This famous Bible scholar, a guy named N.T. Wright, says it this way. He says, God has vindicated Jesus in his resurrection. So there's this absurdity of the cross, and God vindicates him in his resurrection. God set him apart for his own service. God accomplished in him the defeat of the great enslaving powers of sin and death. You are in Christ, a member of the Messiah's family. This wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, these are all really packed Bible words. All of these things are yours too. And if that doesn't make you somebody, nothing ever will. Folks, we are a group of people in this room that we have been told in big, huge ways and in some very subtle, much more insidious ways that we are not valuable, that we are not wanted. And yet in Jesus, all of the nobodies become somebody. All of us are faced with an incredibly difficult decision. Because if we're going to be people who walk with Jesus, we have to be willing to say, we have to answer this question, you're willing to look dumb. Because that's what it means. It's absurd. This is a crazy thing we believe. Are you willing to look dumb? I'm not. 
if I was thinking about my, you know, writing this message, I was thinking about my greatest fear in my life is appearing to be stupid, to be incompetent. My greatest fear, I, 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 I'm more afraid of that than like scorpions. They are scary. A little tail. I'm more afraid of looking dumb than anything else. I hate, I mean, I really do. I hate when people ask me what I do for a living. <laughs> I know there's some pastors who just have like the joy of being able, I am a pastor, I just shepherd a flock, whatever, however they say it. You know, I don't, I don't know how to use that language. I don't talk that way, you know. But when people ask me, they, it's super funny. I mean, I wish you could, I wish you could have, a, I wish I could show you what this is like. So I meet a stranger or whatever. And they're like, hey, so what do you do? I'm playing or whatever. And they look at me. And I go, well, I'm, I, I, and I want to say something like, I'm a motivational speaker, which is so lame. I, don't, I never say that, but I just want to say that. Because then people look at you like, motivate me to do something, you know. Whatever. So I don't say that. I want to say, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm empowering volunteers to change the world, which is, that's true, I guess, you know, sort of. But I don't want to say pastor, because when you say it, they look, they give you like a, they'd like literally do like a look over your whole body. Like they literally give you the full body scan. Like, you're a pastor? Oh. Okay. Uh, like, and the first thing is they're shocked that, it's, that I don't look like whatever they think a pastor should look like. Maybe I should have like a shepherd's crook and a little lamb or something with me. And Obviously, I'm a pastor. Do you not see the shepherd? So, I, I, you know, they, they look at me, and then the first thing is they look at me like, I don't look like their description. And then they look at me like, you, you're crazy. You have dedicated your life to telling people about Jesus? Okay, that's, that's weird. They don't know what to do with me. And I don't know what to tell them. This is weird. I've given my life to a very strange thing. It's embarrassing for me. I know you're going, well, you're not supposed to be embarrassed. I am. It's embarrassing for me to go, well, you know, I do this crazy thing. It's being a pastor. The truth is, if you follow Jesus, the early church just called people who follow Jesus, not Christians, but followers of the way, meaning there was some peculiar way about them, then you have the same thing. You don't have to talk about it when people ask what you do. But your identity is someone who believes and is connected with a father who has done the craziest thing in his own son. Now, the only hope for us, all of us who have sort of initiated some of these little tiny paths down the road and we're looking down at the future, what it might bring, the only hope for us is that maybe the wisest thing we could ever do in our lives is the most foolish thing, which is at the foot of the cross. Now, this is a pretty unwise thing to come to the cross. Maybe this is the only alternative you have. You have tried the patterns of this world and you've wandered down them and you may have even appeared super wise. But maybe today's a day where you go, that has not, has not panned out the way I thought it would. Are you willing to do something so incredibly foolish today? Let me ask you, where are you right now? I used to meet with a group of youth pastors we would all get together, and the question when our group wasn't simply, you know, how are you doing, or what's happening, or whatever. We would always lead with the group. This was back years ago. we get together, and some of us are still in ministry, some of us are not, but we get together once in a while now, but not as much as we used to. And the question was always, where are you? I always thought it was such an intriguing question. It wasn't how are you doing, it's where are you? We'd sit together and, you know, eat food and talk about stuff. 
And it was, the intention was to orient ourselves to the reality of what we're actually facing. And it's one of the most introspective questions you could ever ask yourself as my microphone is coming apart. Is, I was right on a roll too. It's such a bummer. Okay, there we go. It's among the most introspective questions you can ask yourself. Where are you? Not what are you doing? Not what's happening? Not where are you? And secondly, just as important is where is that going to take you? Where are you headed? Where are you headed? Where will this path ultimately lead up? A series of not wrong decisions, so to speak. Where will it, where will it end up? Is it where you want to be? So, I'm going to ask you to do something very foolish. That we would restart a path at the foot of the cross. I want you to think of the cross not as something that's just sort of, I want you to think about it differently maybe than you ever have. But I want you to think of the cross like a trailhead. Where you come up to it and you decide, am I going to continue walking on the same path or am I going to initiate a new journey? And I will have to leave an old path behind. So here's what we're going to do. In a moment, you're going to get a chance to come forward. At the 9 o'clock service, it was a sea of people. And here's what's up here. There's some paper and some pencils. And what I want you to do in a word or two, not a long paragraph, write the trail that you need to leave behind to initiate the new one with Jesus. Now, it might be for the first time. It might be for the hundredth time. But that you simply say, I no longer want to walk this way. I have seen where it leads, and I do not want to go down it any further. Some of you are like, I'm already so far down this path. I don't know what else to do. And let me just tell you, because you're afraid Jesus won't want you back on his sort of quote-unquote trail here. Let me just tell you, there is no distance you could go that would take you so far that you could never come back. So here's the next most foolish thing even beyond that. You're going to get a chance to come forward and write something down. Some of you may need to do this crazy thing that nobody does ever in our society, which is to kneel. There are four crosses up here. You're going to write something down. There's no, there's no table to write on. You have to kind of get down the ground anyways to write. And maybe what you do is you just pause and you go, I just kneel here. It will appear foolish. I came here with people. I don't usually kneel except like in my team photos for my like, you know, volleyball team, whatever, high school guys, you know. Kneel. Maybe you kneel. Maybe it is the most foolish thing that you need to do. And the most foolish thing would be the wisest thing you could do. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand. We're going to pray. The band's going to come up here. And then you're going to get a chance to come forward and do some of the craziest stuff ever. Leaving behind an old trail. Take on a new one. That includes high school students. Don't think you're not involved in this too. All right? So let's, let's pray. Actually do this. You know what? Stand up. Let's stand up first. Stay right there and we'll pray. Then I'm going to invite you to come forward. Let's pray. Jesus, every single one of us in this room has wandered down a path or two in our lives. We're presently on some paths, some little worn ways that we have kind of let ourselves wander down that don't lead us to a place of life. They lead us to a place of heartache and pain and we know it. And so we're faced with a courageous decision about the foolishness of this cross that's before us. Jesus, we want to live in such a way that brings life, not a way that brings death. We no longer want to live in such a way that even if it means the world might think that we're wonderfully wise, we would be willing to give that up. Father, we want to give that up. We want to say now we walk with you 
even in the midst of what might otherwise appear foolish. And so we come before you today, we write down the things that we're leaving behind, and we leave them at the trailhead, and we take our next steps down the path toward you, the foolishness of the Savior who died on the foolishness of the cross for us that we might live, as absurd as it might seem. And so, Jesus, we give you this time. Would you work in us that we might find and follow you? In your name, amen.